Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now after three years, five flight instructors and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Nick from Part-Time Pilot. This is the Audio Ground School Podcast, where we give you our online ground school content completely free in audio format, so you can listen to it on any of your favorite podcast apps, and you can learn on the go and help with a little bit of the cost and the time, save yourself some time, save yourself some costs while you're studying your online ground school content. This is episode number 28. In episode 27, we covered VFR, IFR, and special VFR definitions, and then we started to get into airspace, and we talked about class A or alpha airspace. Today's episode, we're going to talk about class Bravo, class Charlie, and then maybe even class Delta, and then we got, so we're, we're right now we're in the online ground school, we're following that syllabus of our online ground school. So if you're in our online ground school, please follow along because there's going to be a lot of visual aids in the online ground school that I'll reference to. So it will help a lot for you to have those. And if you're not, maybe take a look at (laughs) enrolling in our online ground school. Now you don't have to, but we still have yet to have a student not pass the FA written over 300 and like, oh man, I haven't looked in a while, but it's like 320 to 340 or something like that students without a single failure. So it's a top-notch ground school. We have these audio lessons. And if you don't want to listen to me blabber like this or hear any of our few ads that we have, we have a bonus course for our online ground school students that has all these podcast episodes without any of the ads or anything like that. So it's just the lesson and nothing else. So let's get back to what I was talking about on what we're going to cover. So we're in section six of the online ground school. This is step two, the step two course, the online ground school, private pilot lessons. Step one, we check to see where your knowledge is at, give you a checklist and all that stuff. So step two is where all the lessons are and the quizzes and videos and all that stuff. So we're in step two course, and then it's section six on national airspace system. And then within that section, we're on lesson three on class Bravo. And then, like I said, we might get in class C or class D that's lessons four and five. And then might go class E, G after that. So probably the next episodes. And then we'll review stuff. And yeah. So um, the last thing I want to say is because airspace stuff is a lot of rote memorization, we're going to throw in some quiz questions for you guys in audio format. So it'll help you guys kind of quiz yourselves and hopefully help with that repetition and memorization techniques. So without further ado, let's get into lesson three of section six in the online ground school on class Bravo airspace. 
So most major airports have a Class Bravo or Class B airspace. While each Class B airspace is usually designated for a major terminal, it typically serves several airports in the area. A Class Bravo airspace has different levels, which are portrayed as a series of interconnecting circular patterns on an aeronautical chart. Each Class Bravo airspace is individually designed to serve the needs of the particular airport it surrounds. Each pilot must receive clearance from the controlling ATC in order to take off, land, enter, and operate in Class Bravo airspace. And any person conducting pilot training operations at an airport in Class Bravo must comply with procedures established by ATC for such operations. So it's a controlled airspace. We'll talk about controlled and uncontrolled as we progress through the different types of airspace. But I just want to reiterate what I just said because it might be something you see on the FAA written exam. Each pilot must receive clearance from the controlling ATC for the Class Bravo in order to take off land, enter, and operate within the Class Bravo. The next thing I want to talk about is the minimum weather requirements for Class Bravo. Each airspace, other than Class Alpha, which we talked about in the last episode, has minimum weather requirements for VFR flight. So we're going to talk about this for Class Bravo, then we'll get into some more other things, and then at the end we're going to review this and how to memorize these weather minimums. All right, so these are the minimum weather requirements for VFR flight. So again, not IFR or anything like that. This is for VFR flight, which you as a private pilot will be required to stay within VFR conditions within Class Bravo airspace. You need a visibility of at least three statute miles and you need to remain clear of clouds. So that's it. So you have a cloud requirement in all these weather minimums and then you have a visibility requirement. And if either of those are broken, then you can't meet the requirement. So in Class Bravo, it's three statute miles of visibility and clear of clouds. Clear of clouds just means you need to be able to climb in and out and operate within the Class Bravo airspace without going into a cloud. And that's something as a VFR pilot that you'll get used to doing, dodging clouds, stuff like that. So you want to plan ahead, especially in a Class Bravo airspace. But it's because of, there's so many other rules that go into Class Bravo airspace, the cloud clearance is a little bit less strict, and it's just that clear of clouds. So again, three statute mile visibility and clear of clouds. Now, the minimum pilot qualification for Class Bravo to fly in Class Bravo airspace is a private pilot certificate. So you have to have a private pilot certificate at a minimum to be able to fly in Class Bravo airspace, or there's a caveat for student pilots, or if you just have a student pilot certificate and you want to fly solo in Class Bravo airspace, you have to have your student pilot certificate plus an endorsement from your flight instructor. So it can be any flight instructor, but it has to be the flight instructor who performed training with you in that Class Bravo airspace. And the endorsement says, I basically, I've done the training with the student and I know this student is able and capable to operate within the, the conditions and rules of Class Bravo airspace. So you have to have both and that endorsement does expire. So you have to have that student pilot certificate plus an endorsement to fly in Class Bravo in order to solo in Class Bravo. If you're flying with your instructor, they will have a private pilot certificate at a minimum and be able, plus their flight instructor certificate, and they'll be able to fly with you through that Class Bravo airspace. So again, private pilot certificate or a student pilot certificate plus that endorsement from your instructor. All right, now let's 
get into so we talked about the the weather minimums we talked about the pilot certification minimums and now we'll talk about the equipment minimum requirements for class bravo airspace any aircraft flying within a class bravo airspace is required to have a operating radio for two-way communications with atc also has to have an operating mode 3a or mode s transponder as well as automatic altitude reporting mode c transponder and automatic dependent surveillance broadcast out system or ADSB out. Now, if you're confused as to what these different modes are for your transponder, we covered these back, I can't remember the episode, but go look in the episode titles, back in the lessons on primary aircraft systems and instrumentation. So we talked about what those modes are, how they work, and what kind of information they provide to ATC. In a class Bravo airspace, because it's sort of the most heavily trafficked and has those big aircraft, they have the most requirements for transponder. So the ATC needs the most information. That's why they need like the ADSB out. Now, there are also more requirements for transponders that I'll talk about for mode C and mode ADSB out above and around a class B airspace or or other airspaces like class C, for example. And we'll get into those in a later lesson specific to transponder requirements. Um, for example, a 30 nautical mile radius mode C veil also surrounds a class B airport where mode C and ADSB out capabilities are required. But we'll get to those additional requirements specific to a transponder in about four to five lessons. The ADSB out requirement is somewhat new. It, it was required, so all these ADSB out requirements came into about, which again, we'll talk about in a few lessons, but they came about January 1st, 2020. That's when they were all required. And that actually is three years ago now. So that's crazy. So they're somewhat new, but um, again, we'll talk about those in a bit. Now, now that we've talked about, you know, the weather minimums required for VFR flight, we've talked about the student pilot certificates, or sorry, the certificates required for flight within class. Class Bravo, and now we've talked about the equipment required for flight in Class Bravo. I want to just review those because, again, all the stuff has to be memorized, so it takes a bit of a repetition. So, the VFR weather minimums for Class Bravo are visibility of three statute miles and clear of clouds. The pilot qualifications is private pilot certificate or student pilot certificate plus an endorsement. The equipment requirements are the operating two-way radio, the operating mode 3A or mode S, and mode C, the altitude reporting mode, and ADSB out for your transponders. Now that we've talked about what's required for all that stuff, let's get into how to identify Class Bravo airspace on a map. Now this is important, especially when you'll be, as a student pilot, you'll be planning a cross-country flight. Maybe it's your solo cross-country flight and you may want to either avoid Class Bravo airspace so you don't have to deal with all these requirements that maybe your aircraft doesn't meet all these requirements that you're training in, or maybe you're not endorsed. Remember, you have to be endorsed with a student pilot certificate. You have to be endorsed for Class Bravo airspace. So you got something you got to think about. So you got to be able to read where the airspace starts laterally as well, well as vertically, what altitude it starts at and what altitude it ends at. So that's what we're going to talk about here. And again, if you're not following along in the online ground school, I recommend that you do because we have a lot of visual aids and we have a visual example of Class Bravo airspace and how to sort of read the different floors and ceilings of the Class Bravo airspace. But let's get into it and talk about it here in audio format for you guys. So Class Bravo airspace is marked by solid blue lines with the altitude for floor and ceiling denoted inside the area, so a specific outlined area in blue lines, as one on top of the other in hundreds of feet MSL. So remember, hundreds of feet MSL, we add two zeros to the number, and that gives us the, the feet in MSL. So for example, 100, you add two zeros to 100, and you get 10,000 feet 
For example, the floor and ceiling directly above San Diego International Airport is listed as 100 over SFC. Now, SFC means surface. So the floor is on the bottom of the, the fraction, right? These are written as fractions where one number over the other. So the bottom of the fraction or the denominator of the fraction is going to be the floor and the top of the fraction or the numerator of the fraction is going to be the ceiling. So the SFC means the surface, that's the floor. So that means class Bravo airspace in that area starts at the surface and the, the ceiling, the end or the top of the class Bravo airspace is at 10,000 feet MSL. Now, again, I mentioned the, the class Bravo airspace is denoted by solid blue lines and there's going to be different sections. They're going to draw out different sections within sections of the airspace and then each section is going to have a floor and ceiling listed on your aeronautical chart. So the floor and ceiling changes within sections and if you actually look at it, as you get closer to the airport, especially along the approach path of most aircraft, you're going to see that floor and ceiling change. So if in the example, we're looking at San Diego International Airport. The most east of the airspace has a floor of looks like 4,800 and a ceiling of 10,000 feet. As you go west towards the airport on that final path of approach, on the approach path, the normal approach path to the west because the winds are out of the west. On that final approach path, as you go west, right, now the, the floor drops drops to 3,800, then you go west a little bit more, then it drops to 3,200, you continue going, then 1,800, and then finally the surface right above it. And this, the reason why they kind of follow the aircraft down in the approach path is because they want to make sure during the whole approach that these aircraft are within the Class B airspace, and so they have to abide by the Class B airspace rules when you're in that sort of approach path area. Okay, hopefully that makes sense. If not, go check out that visual aid for you guys. Now there's one more sort of requirement requirement for airspaces and that is airspeed. We will review the airspeeds a little bit later, but the airspeed limit in Class Bravo airspace is unrestricted at or above 10,000 feet MSL and 250 knots below 10,000 feet MSL. So I'll repeat that. Airspeed limit inside Class B airspace is unrestricted at or above 10,000 feet MSL and it's 250 knots and below 10,000 feet MSL. Beneath a class B airspace, class B airspace, the airspeed is limited below 200 knots. All right, so that has been class B airspace. Now I know this is a lot to remember. So that is why now we're gonna do a couple quiz questions to help you guys. Hopefully the repetition will help really engrave it into your minds. And then again, we're gonna review it at the end. So let's get to it and sort of review everything we just talked about. Okay, so let's get to a couple of these questions or a few of these questions. The minimum visibility and cloud clearance for VFR flight in class B airspace is A, three statute miles or more visibility and clear of clouds, B, one statute mile or more visibility and clear of clouds, or C, three statute mile or more visibility, and then 500 feet above, 1,000 feet below, and 2,000 feet horizontal clearance from clouds. Do, 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 do. I should actually get the actual Jeopardy sound. I wonder if I could get that and play it instead of you guys listening to my god-awful voice. All right. Okay, so that should be enough time. So the answer is the minimum visibility and cloud clearance requirements for VFR flight is in Class Bravo airspace is three statute miles or more visibility and clear of clouds. So if you got that right, good job. That's sort of an easy one. Once you have to remember all the airspaces, which we'll get to, it gets harder and harder, but don't worry, that's why we're doing this repetition. All right, can a student pilot fly solo in Class Bravo airspace? A, yes, B, no, C, yes, but only with a specific Class B airspace endorsement from a qualified flight instructor. 
A, yes, B, no, or C, yes, but only with a specific Class B airspace endorsement from a qualified flight instructor. Those are your options for whether a student pilot can fly solo in Class B airspace. Now remember, the FAA written wants the most right answer. There might be multiple right answers, but they want the most right answer. And if you take the most right answer on this one, the answer is C, yes, but only with a specific Class B airspace endorsement from a qualified flight instructor. All right, so if you got that one right and you're two for two, good job. Let's do, this is, the FA written doesn't have two or false questions, but I have some in online ground school to make you make these things sort of stick a little bit. So true or false, to operate in a class B airspace, an aircraft must be equipped with or with an operating mode C transponder. True or false, to operate in a class B airspace, an aircraft must be equipped with an operating mode C transponder. All right, shouldn't have to think long about this one. The answer is true. All aircraft flying within Class B airspace are required to have an operating radio for two-way communications, operating mode 3A or mode S, operating mode C, and ADS-B out. Okay, uh, Class B airspace boundaries are denoted on aeronautical charts by what kind of lines? A, solid blue lines, B, dash blue lines, or C, solid magenta lines. Solid blue, dash blue, or solid magenta colored lines. Which one of these denotes Class B airspace boundaries on aeronautical charts? Okay, the answer is solid blue lines. So whenever you see solid blue lines on aeronautical charts, the thick ones, that denotes Class Bravo airspace. You also see blue numbers, which denote the ceiling. It'll be a fraction of blue numbers with the ceiling on top and the fraction, or sorry, and the floor on the bottom. Let's do one more. What minimum pilot certification is required for operation within Class B airspace? The minimum pilot certi certification or qualification is what is required for Class B airspace? A, private pilot certificate or student pilot certificate with appropriate logbook endorsements. B, recreational pilot certificate. Or C, pilot certificate with an instrument rating. We kind of had a question like this already, so you guys should be able to get this. The minimum pilot qualification for Class B airspace. The answer is A, private pilot certificate or student pilot certificate with appropriate logbook endorsement. That's the minimum. So if you have an instrument rating, you meet that requirement because that is considered more advanced than private pilot. So private pilot is the minimum, either private pilot or the student pilot plus an endorsement. All right, so those are some of our review questions. Let's move on now to lesson four, which is on class C or Charlie airspace. But before we do that, I want you guys to just take a quick listen on something that you might be interested in because it can save you some money in your flight training. Hey, what's up, future pilots? Do you still rent or borrow your aviation headset from your flight school? I remember when I was a student pilot, I definitely borrowed for over a full year from my flight school before I was gifted my own set. But flying in Southern California, I can tell you right now that every student who borrowed those headsets was just filling those ear pads with sweat and grime every single time and every single time I put on those headsets I thought about that and in fact there was quite often when those headsets would stop working because they had so much use by so many different students so it was kind of an inconvenience before I had my own set of headsets but at the time, like it made sense because I wasn't willing to fork over five hundred to a thousand dollars for a headset. You know, I wasn't willing to give up. That's like 
four to six flight lessons. So I couldn't afford that for a quality pair of headsets. Well, with Core Aviation, you can get a quality, durable, and good-looking headset for less than $200 or even $100. So I heard of Core from a friend and had to try them out myself. I'm always on the lookout for ways that my students can save money while still getting a quality product. So I went out and I bought a set of KA-1 Core headsets for my own and was amazed at the similarities in comfort and audio quality that they had with my Bose headsets or the David Clark models that I had borrowed from the flight school. So this Core KA-1 headset, let me just tell you some of the things that comes with this headset at the low price of under $200. It's got five-year manufacturer warranty service in the U.S., high-density acoustic foam ear cups with best-in-class passive noise attenuation, up to 50% higher industry standard passive noise reduction rating of 24 dB, ultra-soft silicone gel ear seals that allow your ears to breathe so they don't get super sweaty up there, dual-volume controls for quick adjustments in each ear, electric noise-canceling flexboom microphone for quiet communication, gold-plated plugs for best connection and corrosion resistance and to limit the amount of times you have calm issues while you're up there flying. Very, very important. And it even has a 3.5mm audio port for iOS, Android, MP3 compatibility if that's something you want to do. And the best part is that the ones I got are still going strong after three years of continuous use. And sometimes I give my passengers my Bose ones and I use the core aviation ones. So to all, everyone that's listening that wants your own headset and wants to you know, be that official pilot and not borrow those sweaty rental headsets at your flight school, go check out Core Aviation at coreheadset.com. And this is Core with a K, so that's K-O-R-E headset.com or K-O-R-E-H-E-A-D-S-E-T.com. And then use the coupon code. Here's the even cooler part coupon code part-time pilot to get 10% off so you guys know how to spell part-time pilot that's no spaces p-a-r-t-t-i-m-e-p-i-l-o-t part-time pilot no spaces use that coupon code you'll get 10% off and right now core aviation is doing a sale and they have no shipping cost so you, shipping is free so that means you can get their p1 general aviation headsets which are like normally 120 dollars you can get the and now they're like 109 on sale for 109 you get free shipping and then you get an additional 10% off if you use the coupon code part-time pilot so you can get your own headset that i that has comes highly recommended by myself for less than $100 so core is a great great new company and they are awesome first headset for students so go check it out and they also look pretty cool i think and they're comfortable so go check those out again it's coreheadset.com core with a k use coupon code part-time pilot Okay, so welcome back. Let's continue on with lesson four. It's probably the last lesson we'll cover on this episode because, again, we're going to cover, we'll review with some quiz questions and stuff like that at the end. So it'll probably take up the normal time of a podcast episode. So we're on lesson four on Class Charlie or Class C airspace. Class C airspaces generally surround busy, towered airports that are serviced by by a radar approach control and have IFR operations. So, again, the main sort of reason for these different levels of airspaces is for more traffic and more traffic in bat 
worsening weather conditions, right? So you want to have more communication with ATC, more information sent to ATC, more sort of traffic control when you have busier airports and airports that you want to remain operational with bad weather. So that's IFR operations. So that's sort of the difference, why we have the, the differences. And Class C, although not as large or busy as maybe a Class Bravo airspace, still pretty busy, has a tower, and it is serviced by radar approach control with IFR operations. The shape and ceiling of each Class C airspace is different for each airport because they're specifically tailored to the airport they surround. However, a Class C airspace generally, so this is the general sort of default Class C airspace shape, is a five nautical mile radius core that extends from the surface up to 4,000 feet AGL, as well as a 10 nautical mile radius shelf area that extends from no lower than 1,200 feet up to 4,000 feet AGL. So if you're looking at it in three dimensions, it sort of looks like a mushroom cloud, right? You have the core, which is a five nautical mile radius laterally, and it goes from the surface to 4,000. And then you have a shelf, which goes from about 1,200 feet AGL to 4,000, but has a larger radius, so larger lateral area of 10 nautical miles. Now, that's just the general shape of a Class C airspace. That's not all the airspaces. In addition, there is a non-regulatory outer area known as the Class C procedural area that has a radius of 20 nautical miles from the airport. Now, the keyword here is non-regulatory. So what that means is it imposes no limitations on pilots and pilot precipitation is voluntary and may be ceased upon the pilot's request. All right, so it's non-regulatory. It's not a requirement. It just adds more radar capability, radar services to a larger area surrounding the Class C airspace. And that's a procedural area that has a radius of 20 nautical miles from the airport. I say that again because you might be, there's an FAA written question that talks about that 20 nautical mile radius for the procedural area. All right, but remember it's non-regulatory. It has vertical limits that extend from the lower limits, radio radar coverage, up to the ceiling of the approach controls delegated airspace. So whatever the ceiling of that airspace is, that's sort of the ceiling of the procedural area. So although Class C ceilings are generally determined by an above ground level or AGL, they are charted in MSL like all other airspaces. So when you see it in the chart, that is going to be in terms of MSL. They decide the size and shape of the airspaces usually by an AGL for Class C. Each pilot must establish and maintain two-way radio communications with the control tower. So that was just like Class Bravo. So no difference there. With Class Charlie, you have to maintain two-way radio comms with the tower when departing, approaching, or flying within a Class C airspace. This means a pilot should contact approach control on the appropriate frequency before entering Class C airspace. Class C airspace towers provide VFR traffic advisories and VFR IFR separation. All right, so now let's talk about those weather minimums. Remember for Class Bravo, we had three statute mile visibility and clear clouds. Well, for Class Charlie, it's three statute mile visibility, so that hasn't changed. But the cloud requirements is 1,000 feet above clouds, 500 feet below clouds, and 2,000 feet horizontally from clouds. So cloud clearance is 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, and 2,000 feet horizontal distance from clouds. So that's just like it sounds. Like if, you're, if you see a cloud, you either have to fly five, more than 500 feet below it, more than 1,000 feet above it, or more than 2,000 feet to the left or right of it. Okay, so what are the minimum pilot qualifications? Remember for Class B airspace, you either had a private pilot or the student pilot plus an endorsement. For Class C, it's a student pilot certificate. So there's no endorsement required to fly in Class C. 
That definitely doesn't mean that, you know, you want to fly into class C for the first time without an instructor, but you could, if you wanted to, technically per the rules, remember there's a difference between being current or eligible to do something and being proficient to do something. So if it were me, I would make sure I would go in a class C airspace with an instructor first, but you don't need that endorsed requirement as a student pilot to go in there. As a private pilot, you're good. As an IFR pilot, you're good. As a student pilot, you're good for class C airspace. So that's the difference between the class Bravo. All right, so now what about the equipment requirements, right? Well, we talked about for class Bravo. Well, for class Charlie, you're required to have operating radio, again, for two-way comms with ATC, operating mode 3A or mode S with automatic altitude reporting mode C. So same thing and automatic ADSB out. So again, no changes for class Bravo and class C for the equipment required. The two-way radio, mode 3A, mode S, mode C, and ADSB out when traveling inside class C airspace. All right, so now how do we identify class C airspace on an aeronautical chart? Class Bravo airspace was that that solid blue line. Well, Class C airspace is marked by a solid magenta line. So magenta is kind of like a reddish purple, and you'll see that on an aeronautical chart or the example here we have in the online ground school. All right, so we have a picture here of a Class C airspace around Santa Ana, and this is sort of near Disneyland, and you can see the different sort of section. You have a that inner core, which is from the surface to 4,400 feet MSL. And again, just like Class Bravo, you have the ceiling and floor denoted by like that fraction so right around in that core of santa Ana, you have 44 over sfc again sfc is the surface so that means the floor of that classy airspace right there in that core is at the surface and then it goes up to 44 which again is in hundreds of feet msl so we had two zeros to that that's 4400 feet msl 4400 feet msl all right, now again, in this example, you can again see how the floor of the airspace changes as you get closer on the approach path or different things that you might run into around like some hills and stuff like that and how it kind of changes the shape of that airspace. It also interacts with a class Bravo airspace that you can check out uh, when you look at this, this picture here. So check that out if you're in the online ground school get a good idea but the moral of the story is classy airspace are marked by solid magentas the surface and floor same thing denoted by that fraction those colors will also be in magenta so if you have the situation where you have a class c sort of overlapping a class bravo on your chart you can determine which floor and ceiling fractions are for the class C and which are for the class B, they have the same color. So the class C fractions are in magenta. Uh, all right, so the final sort of requirements that we talked about is the airspeed requirements. The only additional airspeed requirement in class C airspace is when at or below 2,500 feet AGL and within four nautical miles of the primary airport, the airspeed limit is 200 knots. So when at or below 2,500 feet AGL and within four nautical miles of the primary airport, airspeed is 200 knots. So when you're close to the to the pattern stuff like that they want to limit your airspeed to 200 knots all right some further information and a, a good example that we have here in the online ground school of another of denoting what what the class c airspace is telling us on the aeronautical chart sometimes a class c airspace ceiling will be noted with a t like capital t the letter t this so in the fraction you'll see capital t over for example one five so the floor here is 1500, 1500 feet MSL. But what is the ceiling? It's denoted by a capital T. 
This can happen with other airspaces as well, but is most common to see them with class C or D airspaces under when they're underneath a class Bravo airspace. So just like we talked about sort of around Disneyland and Santa Ana, you have a class Bravo, right? You know, sort of colliding with a class Charlie. You'll find this a lot near, you know, heavily populated areas and cities. In this situation, the capital T tells you that the lower airspace continues up until the upper airspace begins no matter what altitude that is. In the examples below, so in the examples we have in the online ground school, the sections with the class C airspace that show a ceiling floor of T over 15 have a class C airspace from 1500 feet until the class Bravo above it. So wherever the floor of the class Bravo is in that area, so you have to then go look for the solid blue lines and find which section you are and that and then look for the blue fraction and look for the floor of that that is where the class bravo begins and so the class c airspace ends right below that so it goes they go right up to each other and this is an easy way for them to do that instead of writing them over and over again they can just put that t and that tells you it goes up until that next airspace above it so they do this because the ceiling of class C in these sections changes when the floor of class Bravo changes. In airspaces with shelves like these, the chart will use a T instead of denoting the ceiling of class C each time it changes. So in this example, again, that we're looking at here, let me try and explain it in an example terms. We have a class C airspace that says 1500, so T over 15. So the floor is 1500, but what is the ceiling? Well, if we look at the class Bravo that is surrounding it, we see that the floor of the class Bravo is 3000 feet MSL. So we see a 100 over 30. That tells us that the floor is 3000 feet in that area. So the class C goes up to 2999 feet. So just literally 2999.99999, right? If you go just above that, then you're in class Bravo. So class Bravo starts at 3000. Anything below that will be considered that class Charlie until the, the floor of class Charlie, of course. So the other example we have here is there's another section of the class C airspace. Again, it's T over 15, but it's in a different area of the class Bravo. So on that area of the class Bravo, it has 100 over 21. So the floor is 21 or 2100. So the floor of class Bravo there starts at 2100 feet MSL. So that means the class C goes up to 2099.99999, right? It goes right up above. So it depends on the class Bravo above it, but wherever that is, that's where your class C ends. So they just put a T so they don't have to continue writing fractions every time the class Bravo above it changes they don't have to do that in each area or else the chart would get really confusing so they just put for the class charlie put that t and that tells you that it goes up until the class bravo starts all right hopefully that made sense it makes way more sense if you look at the picture inside the online ground school but i did my best to try and explain it to you guys all right so as promised let's do a little quiz to kind of review everything we talked about for this lesson lesson four of section six of the online ground school on class charlie here we go True or false, two-way radio comms with the control tower are required when departing, entering, or operating within a Class C airspace. True or false, two-way radio comms with the control tower are required when departing, entering, or operating within a Class C airspace. Give you guys a couple seconds to think about it. Is this true or false? So it should be pretty quick. All right. The answer is true. 
just like class bravo you gotta have two-way radio comms with the tower that one was pretty easy hopefully you guys got that right if not you might want to rewind and sort of review this lesson again don't feel bad about yourself this is a lot of information especially the airspace system and there's a lot of questions on the fa written about this because there is so much information you're gonna have to listen to it a few times all right next question the minimum visibility for vfr flight within a class c airspace is a one statute mile or more b three statute mile or more or c five statute miles or more the minimum visibility for vfr flight you usually set a visibility and cloud clearance requirements this is just asking for the visibility a one statute mile b three statute mile or c five statute miles Okay, the answer is B, three statute miles or more. The visibility was unchanged from the Class Bravo airspace requirement, still three statute miles. All right, let's do the next one. I think you can guess, what are the minimum cloud clearance requirements for VFR flight within Class C airspace? Is it 500 feet in any direction away from clouds? Is it 500 feet above, 500 feet below, and 1,000 feet horizontal? Or is it C, 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, and 2,000 feet horizontal distance from clouds? The minimum cloud clearance for VFR flight. A, 500 feet in any direction. B, 500 feet above, 500 feet below, and 1,000 feet horizontal. Or C, 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below, and 2,000 feet horizontal. All right, give you a couple more seconds. All right, the answer is C, 1,000 feet above, 500 feet below and 2,000 feet horizontal. This differed from Class Bravo, which was simply clear of clouds. All right, so next one is another true or false question. Student pilots can fly solo in Class C airspace without a specific airspace endorsement from an instructor. True or false? Remember, Class Bravo, to be able to fly, you either had to have a minimum private pilot certificate or a student pilot certificate plus an endorsement from your instructor. Is it the same? for class Charlie airspace, or can you fly as a, with a student pilot cert without an endorsement? The answer is it's true. Student pilots can fly solo in class C airspace without a specific airspace endorsement from an instructor. So if you got that right, good job. Remember that difference from class Bravo airspace. Let's see here, let's do one more. On aeronautical charts, what is the color of the boundary lines of a class C airspace? A, solid blue, B, dash blue, or C, solid magenta? Solid blue, dash blue, or solid magenta lines denote class C on an aeronautical chart. You guys should get this one. The answer is C, solid magenta. Let's do actually one more. So remember, class Bravo is blue, solid blue. Class Charlie is solid magenta. Let's do, what is the normal radius of the procedural outer area of class C airspace? Is it 10 nautical miles, 30 nautical miles, or 20 nautical miles? The normal radius of the procedural outer area of class C airspace, 10, 30, or 20 nautical miles. Now remember, this is the non-regulatory outer area that can provide you with more radar coverage surrounding a class C airspace. Is it normally 10 nautical miles, 30 nautical miles, or 20 nautical miles? All right, the answer is C, 20 nautical miles is the normal radius for the procedural outer area of class C airspace. All right, guys, great job. Hopefully you guys did well on those quizzes. 
Again, the whole point of these is to try and make this stuff sit in your noggin and so you never ever forget it. <laughs> Obviously, you're going to have to review this from time to time so that you remember, but hopefully this is helping. Now, that's going to be it for today's episode. In the next episode, we'll do class Delta, class Echo, and maybe even class Golf, class G, airspaces in lessons five, six, and seven. Now, I mentioned we'll then get into lesson eight, primary and satellite airports, special nine, special use airspace. And then lesson 10 is going to be an airspace review where, again, we're going to, after we've covered class A, B, C, D, E, G, all that stuff, we're going to then do some more review and some more quiz questions for you. We might just have an entire sort of airspace review bonus episode for you guys because that's what we do in our online ground school course. We go the extra mile so that you guys make sure you have the knowledge that you need to be a successful pilot, a safe pilot, and to pass your exams because we want to do that. We want to help you do that. Pass your exams on the first try. That's that's my number one goal was when I started part-time pilot was to help the burden of the cost and time of flight training. So the first thing I did was I made a how to become a pilot and save money course, which just basically talked about all the things you shouldn't do and how to plan ahead so that you don't get taken advantage of the flight training industry and how you find the right flight training, the right flight instructor, how you apply for scholarships, all that stuff. That's the first thing, like avoiding unnecessary costs, right? And maybe getting some scholarship money. The next thing is passing your exams on the very first try. And the same thing goes for lessons. When you prepare well, you can pass a lesson, pass a test on the very first try. You don't have to repeat those things. And every single thing in flight training costs money. So when you have to repeat it, you have to you have to do it all over again. You have to pay for it all over again. So that's what we're here for. Thank you guys for listening. I will catch you guys next week. Again, we'll continue on with the airspaces. And I hope you guys have a great week. And if you're flying, stay safe out there and enjoy it. Talk to you guys later. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers, and avoid emergency situations. 
if we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time. Everything's great and dandy. But once you get into, you know, bad weather flying or flying at heavy, heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight, things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to start to get behind the aircraft. And when this happens, if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gained, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working so most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job we have kids we have family we have school we have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training and most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you and so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot well the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting you want to avoid being boring you want to avoid that burnout so how we do that is we present our material in multiple multiple ways and you're actually listening to one of them right now you can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording you can do this while you're running while you're driving in traffic again tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot or you can read through our written lessons you know i like to read so for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step -step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices. Have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can 
utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.